0: navigate the new way to work, Forbes Books presents Dare to Care in the Workplace with Kathleen Quinn Bota. Here's Kathleen. Welcome back to my conversation with Marcus Buckingham. He is currently the head of Research, People, and Performance at the ADP Research Institute and is widely considered the world's leading expert on talent at work. Marcus, I want to circle back to the great resignation. We touched upon it in part one, and I think one of the biggest reasons employees are resigning or disengaged or leaving is recognition. And in your nine lives and truths, I love them all by the way, but number five is people need feedback. But the truth is people need attention. And I agree with every fiber in my being because people want to matter. And that's the reason that they're leaving because they don't feel that they matter to their employers.
1: It's one of the funniest things, isn't it, Kathleen, that that we, you you can't love what you can't see. Mm -hmm. And that's true for parents as much as it is for managers. But we don't, as parents, very often, we kind of wrap our kids in tinfoil to protect them from all of the horrors of the world. And then when we look at them, we don't see them. We just see ourselves reflected back in the tinfoil. And the same sort of true of managers. We, we give people feedback because we're so intent on telling them how they should be better or different. And then, and then there's a whole school of thought which says, well, our culture is too nice. And in order to be less nice, we need to have more managers taught how to give you the truth about you as though the manager is the holder of the truth about you. Well, actually, we know that learning doesn't happen ever like that. I mean, look, yes, if a nurse, for example, is giving the wrong injection to the wrong patient, that is factual and you need to tell the nurse to stop doing that. That's a problem. That's a problem. But most jobs at excellence aren't created by following a sequence of steps. Most jobs at excellence are done through innovation and creativity on the part of the person doing the job. Well, we know the way that the brain works. Innovation and learning and creativity is inspiration. It comes from within, it's insight. Learning is insight. It's not somebody pouring knowledge into you. So, so what we want as humans from our leaders isn't somebody who is, quote, giving me feedback. Because it's like, you don't know how I do what I do. You don't know how I think, how I learn, how I process, anything. If you want to give me your reaction, far, as I said in Nine Lies About Work, y- yeah, g- g- you need to listen to people's reaction to you. If you give a presentation and they say, I was bored, then that's interesting. That, that's their reaction. And you need to pay attention to their reaction. If you're teaching students and they go, I don't understand what you said, that's the student's reaction. And that is so legitimate. When you cross the behavior or action bridge though, and you start telling people what to do differently, now you're giving them feedback. And that's just not the way humans learn. So what we want as humans is we want someone to pay attention to us we want someone to see us, we want someone to listen, and we want to listen to their reaction to us. If you're trying to sell somebody something and they don't buy, well, yeah, you probably should pay attention to their reaction. But, but the way in which you're going to learn and grow is going to come from insight that comes from within you. It's going to be a combination of, of you thinking about the reactions that you're creating in the world around you and then figuring out how to create more effective reactions. That's mm-hmm. how learning works. And if any teacher has any ever tried to help someone, I don't know, write a, a great poem or write a great essay or solve a really tricky math problem. Every great teacher realizes this quite quickly, that you can't actually force feed a person learning. It doesn't work that way. They have
0: to be ready to receive. That is really, and that's what that attention creates. Yes. When yes. you pay attention to people and they feel they matter, then they're ready to receive whatever the conversation might be. So it really is a big truth in your book that people need attention. They need to matter. And it's just, you know, it's just really an interesting thing that, that our leaders can't get over that or they can't stop and listen. And they're, they're fearful to hearing the truth. And it's a lot about courage, the courage to lead, the courage to listen.
1: Well, and it's, it's funny, it's two things occur to me as you say that. The first is that we call, we call something span of control and we build organizational structures that have certain spans of control. And somewhere there's a CFO or there's a controller somewhere deciding on the span of control based upon the headcount that the company can afford. But it shouldn't be called span of control. It should be called span of attention. The perfect span of control is the number of people that you can pay attention to in some meaningful way every week. And, and if that number is 1 to 10, it's 1 to 10. If it's 1 to 12, it's 1 to 12. For some leaders, it's 1 to 3. But what it certainly isn't is 1 to 25. Anything north of 25, and you're destroying the value of the company because you cannot you cannot pay individualized attention to 25 people in any meaningful way every week. And don't say, well, I'll do it once a quarter, because once a quarter means the person, be like saying that to your kid, I'll talk about your grades <laughs> once a quarter Like, no.
0: Or your spouse, for God's or your sake. Spouse. You know? Yeah. Hey, honey. I'll,
1: hey, I'll, talk I'll to get you next back day. to you in 90 days. <laughs> in, in 90 days. It's like it doesn't work that way. So mm-hmm. we need to shake the heads, really, of these CFOs and controllers and go, you're destroying the value of the thing whose value you're supposed to build because you've built special of control that don't allow attention I'm sorry human beings need attention and we know that because the biggest killer of humans in terms of um, suicide in terms of heart disease Mm -hmm. in terms of all the bad physiological outcomes and you know what I'm going to say here Mm -hmm. is loneliness Mm. loneliness is the biggest killer of humans and we've built so many lonely workplaces because mm-hmm. it makes lonely. financial sense on a spreadsheet, you know.
0: Yes, and it's very lonely. The, um, Kim Jordan, who was the founder of New Belgium, I don't know if you know that company, but she very early on started talking about love in the workplace. Mm. And you mentioned it earlier, love in the workplace. It is about creating love and actually those human connections because if we've learned anything from the last 22 months, people need human connection they cannot live in isolation or they will die somehow, some way. I know that's a dramatic statement, but look at the rise in mental illness right now. So many people are struggling still because work from home, work from anywhere is not a bad thing, but for some people it's an awful thing because of the isolation.
1: Yes, although it's interesting that when you study this and you actually count the numbers of sort of interactions, What matters is the frequency, not the modality. Uh So if you've got someone who is with weekly frequency, and by the way, there's something weirdly human about a week. Every other unit of time is a function of the cosmology of our world. So the the day is because of the sun. The months are because of the moon. The year is because of our circle around the sun. Uh Weeks, we just made up weeks. But it's kind of interesting there isn't a single human society that doesn't have a seven-day week there is something human about the need for weekly connection Mm -hmm. what we know from this pandemic though is that it doesn't matter if it can be a face-to-face it can be a voice-to-voice it can be a zoom to zoom Mm -hmm. so long as it's someone breathing in and breathing out and going hey i see you i hear you Mm -hmm. let me ask you a couple of questions about this coming week and how I can help. It's something as simple as that. But boy, if you're doing it once a quarter, you're not doing it frequently enough.
0: No, and those simple lessons from our life, you know, as we joked about our kids or spouses or parents, we would never delegate them to 30-day touches. Of
1: course not. Yet
0: we delegate the people we entrust our customers, our companies to, to these quarterly touches. And it's, it's not humane, it's not loving, it's not the right leadership. I wanna shift our conversation a little bit. You talked about the CEO and, and CFO and their decisions, et cetera. I wanna focus on HR for just a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. You know, you you came up with the HR experience score, and I often hear jokes about the lovely HR people out there. And God bless you if you're listening. We love HR people. Um, but tell me about this HR experience score, because there's a perception out there that I'm, I'm assuming you're trying to change with this. And what are some of the key takeaways?
1: Well, yeah. So uh, as part of this institute that I um, have a chance to, to lead, it's an opportunity to try to measure things that normally we don't measure. So Uh, About two years ago, uh, a couple of CHROs just came to me and were like, how do we measure the effectiveness of what we're doing? And when you go look around, you you discover that uh, there really is no reliable way to measure people's experience of the HR function. Mm -hmm. So we set out to try to do that, to try to create a thermometer, if you like, for measuring people's experience of the HR function. And there's a way to do that, which I won't dive into in in great detail here, but there's a way in which you can get to, well, what are the issues that that measures? And what are the questions you can use to get at that? So we built this this 15 question thermometer and a couple of things really jumped out. Um, First is, if you have a good experience with HR, what does it drive? Well, it turns out it drives three things one it really strongly drives your desire to go and advocate working for the company to friends and family so it actually turns out referrals employee
0: referrals yes
1: i would call that talent brand yes so if you've had a good experience with hr you are much much more likely to say i will advocate this company as a place to work to friends and family so i don't know if your ceo is interested in talent brand you might want to think about the quality of the experience the hr functions bringing The second, Mm -hmm. we asked people about their intent to leave and whether they were interviewing or considering moving to a new job. And there's a very strong relationship between your experience of the HR function and your likelihood to be interviewing or looking for a new job. And then lastly, because um, I could go back into the ADP organization, which is 60,000 people, well, we actually know whether people then did leave, not just whether they had an intent to leave, but if we asked those 15 HR experience questions at time one, three months later, you can go back in and see whether or not the person's still there at ADP, and what you find is that it's almost you 're almost twice as likely to have actually left if you've had uh, a poor experience of HR three mm-hmm. months prior so it's not just intent to leave it's did you actually so that was the first big big finding Kathleen was that the experience of HR drives three things that every single CEO or CEOFO should be rapidly focused on, mm-hmm. which is not, you know, my, as I said, my grandfather was in HR, my dad was in HR, they never had, a, they had intuitions, but they never had a way to go, if we do this whole HR thing well, what happens? What business mm-hmm. outcomes happen? And so this was really the first time in which we could say definitively, well, i tell you what, if the whole HR experience thing works well, those three outcomes I just described are much more likely to happen.
0: That's excellent. And I'm very excited about that HR experience score because I feel like HR is getting a a bad rap. (laughs) The poor thing, you know, they're trying very hard. We're in the middle of the biggest change we've had in what the last 30 40 years they don't have all the answers but they have all the pressure Mm. companies you know harvard business review fast company they write mean articles about them why we hate hr we have to blow up hr and so i'm so excited you're giving them a tool to focus on what they need to improve what can they what can the human resources people listening do differently in their everyday work?
1: Well, the first thing that came out of this research was really stopping and saying, hey, listen, (laughs) HBR, Buzz Company, whatever.
0: I know, those are Um, mean
1: articles. Well, (laughs) well, what this research shows is, listen, uh, culture, really, when you look at what culture is, it's not what the CEO says. It's not anything that put you put on your website. Culture is your experience of HR. The experience of the company is mediated through your experience of HR, not through IT, not through real estate, not through finance, not through marketing. It's through the experience of HR because every single thing that HR deals with, the small things like, do you get my personal identifier correct? To the bigger things like, do you have the proper withholding on my insurance? To the really big stuff like, I need to take a a leave of absence because of my mental health or um, I've just got promoted and I need to figure out the implications of all of that. All of those things are deeply human, very fraught things. And when you handle them poorly, then that's culture. That's the company's culture. So the HR function, I know we sort of think of them sometimes as the HR police or the compliance function, but they're Mm -hmm. not, it's the Mm -hmm. culture function. When all of those very human emotional things are handled well, you have a culture that people will go and spread around the neighborhood. When you don't do it well, you don't. I don't think we've ever really said that definitively. Mm-hmm. If you go the other way to the other beginning of the of the lens if you like and you go, okay, well if HR drives talent brand way more than anything else, and by the way, that doesn't mean that your your local team leader doesn't matter. Your local team leader and team experience is clearly very important. But from our data and all of this really significant body of research, it's clear that at least 49 percent of your experience of HR is independent completely of your manager. Like You can Mm -hmm. hate your manager, and actually have some really great experiences with HR. Likewise, you could love your manager, hate HR. These things overlap, but they're not the same. Mm -hmm. It's very clear that HR functions independently of of your loving, or not loving, (laughs) your team leader. Um, Well, and it's
0: a service to the community. And I I do believe culture, the new word for culture is community. Hmm. We are really building communities where people have shared values, shared missions, and to achieve whatever it is that company is trying to achieve. Culture is a little elusive, right? And uh, we all have to work together on building a community. Just if you think of, you know, communities we know, churches or neighborhoods or, you know, other things like that, why can't our companies really embrace that community idea built on values?
1: Well, they, they can and they should. I'll tell you, in terms of the world of HR, if you were to build it on values, mm. the, one of the first things that anyone who's in HR who's listening needs to re- know from, at least from this research, and obviously all research is provisional, so we could keep learning, but one of the strongest drivers of your HR experience score is single point of contact. So the way that the, the mega trends in HR is that HR is becoming... Um, verticalized. So there are a number of different silos of HR expertise, and those silos don't really talk to one another. So if you have an insurance question, here's the number that you call, and that takes you to a call center somewhere in Arizona, and and then you ask your insurance questions. If you've got a question about a leave of absence, oh, well, that's a different thing. That's the number you call over here, and they'll take you through a leave of absence thing. If you've got a compensation question, you go over here. So we've... Probably it's kind of sanitized,
0: hasn't it? It's a little sanitized
1: and verticalized. Mm-hmm. There is no one. It's like going to hospital. I don't know if you've been in hospital recently, but if you go to hospital, you realise there is nobody there that's thinking about you as a whole body. Mm-hmm. You're just a gallbladder. You're the gallbladder <laughs> in room two hundred two, and and it's actually kind of interesting that some of the best hospitals have created a new job called a hospitalist, who's just a doctor, but that doctor is a quarterback. They know the whole you. And then they translate the whole you to the person operating on your gallbladder. Well, in HR, it's sort of the same. You want an HR quarterback. You want somebody, I don't mean an HR generalist, I mean a human with a name who knows your name, (laughs) who knows whether you're married, who knows who you are. Like at church, you go to church, somebody knows you, all of you. And it's so comforting to know that there's a human there who knows you, who knows your situation. Well, in HR, we want the same thing. Now, That person could hand us off to a center of excellence in Arizona Mm -hmm. in a call center somewhere. But the person's, the first call we wanna make is to a person who knows our name, a -hmm. person who knows if we're married, a person who knows if we have kids, a person who knows something about us. That's the foundation of a community is that somebody sees you. Mm -hmm. HR has forgotten that and we've tried to create these silos of excellence. And in the middle of these poor people, us, <laughs> the employees, going, uh, could somebody, could somebody not immediately <laughs> please pass me off to some person 2,000 miles away that doesn't know me at all?
0: Simply put, it's, you're talking about a relationship manager. You know, somebody mm. who, can, who can truly re- manage the relationship between the human and the organization. We forget that employees are humans. Absolutely. <laughs> they, they are humans that need support and guidance and hope and joy. And so that's kind of what you're referring to. And it's funny, we've kind of come full circle. You you know, you know that show, Cheers, where mm. um, everybody knows your name, right? Yeah. It's a simple, simple concept, but there's a reason Cheers was so popular, because You'd walk in and everybody would say Norm or Marcus or Kathleen, and everybody would know you and everybody would celebrate you, and they knew what your drink was, kind of like your dad.
1: Exactly, it's like you walk into a pub, and what's what's you, makes it your your what we call your local pub is the mm-hmm. person goes, "Hey Marcus, here's a," and then we'll say, "My, you know, here's a here's a pint of lager," and that's the, that's my drink. So it's my name and something about me it's 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 recognition it's a um, it's a strange thing we think today that artificial intelligence plus chatbots equals hr and it never will it will yeah. never make me feel seen in the way that norm felt seen when he walked into that bar now the question for the hr function and it's a non-trivial question is how do you do that at scale without ruining your financial models and mm-hmm. that's an interesting question, but as you and I both know, I mean this whole podcast is dare to care right? So it's like and the book you have it's you have to be daring. <laughs> I mean it sounds weird to say, but you have to be daring to care that a human is a human and mm-hmm. a human will always want someone to know them and if you can't set up a system where a person feels known and seen you're going to lose i mean that you're the financial the negative financial implications on your company will be far greater than whatever you might have spent making sure that there is some individual who is your in a sense your employee experience quarterback the manager can do some of it no question the manager your local manager could do some part of that But there's a whole, we know from data now, that at least 49% of your experience as an employee is in the hands of HR. And at the moment, it is significantly undermanaged.
0: I completely agree with you. And there's more to talk about. But I want to thank you, Marcus, so much for being with me today. And I am going to ask you back, of course. But if people want to find you, work with you, learn about you, how would they do that?
1: Well, probably the best way to sort of stay in touch with me, I, the, the one social platform that I like is Instagram. So I, mm-hmm. I sort of put something up there a couple of times a week. So Instagram is a pretty good place to, uh, to stay connected. Um, I'm launching a new initiative with, with Harvard Business. Talk about Harvard. So you could go to loveandwork.org, loveandwork.org. And we're going to try for the next 10 years, probably until I retire or die or whatever, oh, trying okay. to figure out how can we actually figure out a more loving way of living and working? How do we do that? And, you know, you have some answers. I have some answers. We, we've got some integrated answers that we could bring to bear. At the moment, clearly, if you look at people like, as you said right at the beginning of the podcast, Naomi Osaka, Simone Biles, stepping back from their work because their mental health is so destroyed, mm-hmm. um, something's not working and we need to be really uh, serious in trying to figure out how to make it right. So loveandwork.org is a place. If anyone's interested in that subject, not everyone is, but if you are, that's probably a good place to come and figure out what I'm up to next.
0: Well, I am very interested and count me in. Thank you for being on the podcast.
1: It's my pleasure, Kathy.
0: His name is Marcus Buckingham, and that's it for the first episode of Dare to Care in the Workplace. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, make sure you take a second to subscribe so you automatically get my new shows when they drop. Also, if you have a minute, I'd love if you left me a review so more folks like yourself can discover the show. Until we meet again. This has been Dare to Care in the Workplace. To connect with Kathleen, go to KathleenQuinnBotaw.com. Kathleen's book, Dare to Care, is available wherever books are sold. Dare to Care in the Workplace is a production of Forbes Books.